Well, speaking of size, I mean, that, that is quite a size thing to talk about. Yes, it All is. Right. So, anyway, welcome to The Wages of Cinema. I am Jack. And I'm Andrew. And with us today is Corey, my lovely wife. Hello, everyone. A.K.A. Wifely some... Duties Corey. Yes. There actually, <laughs> wifely Duties Corey. There actually is a playlist I created on the SoundCloud that says Wifely Duties Corey. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you got a little bit gypped when it came to nicknames, especially since we have guest star Matt. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, you you kind of brought it on yourself. You I'll brought it up before on the podcast. But speaking of duties, we <clears throat> saw downsizing. Yes. That's Dave, Dave Johnson. Hey, everybody. And Carol. He never struck me as the kind of guy who'd go get small. Downsizing takes the pressure right off. Plus, you're really making a difference. You mean all that crap about saving the planet? Yeah. Downsizing is about saving yourself. We live like kings. Got the best houses, best restaurants. Cheesecake Factory, got three of them. In Leisureland, your $52,000 translates to $12.5 million to live on for life. (sighs) Wow. Do you understand that you will undergo the permanent an irreversible medical procedure commonly known as downsizing, and that your bodies will be approximately 0.0364% of their current mass and volume. Nervous? The new film by director Alexander Payne, who, we this is not the first time actually we've uh, talked about one of his films. Uh, um, we uh, actually talked about him I don't know if direct, indirectly or not, but uh, when we did our podcast on uh, Jack Nicholson, oh. we talked about uh, about Schmidt. Right. So I think that is that the only one of his films you've seen. What other movies has he come out with? Well, um, he's uh, best known for uh, not movies like Downsizing, <laughs> to say the least. He's known for he he's made a mark for himself in American cinema because he's very much about the. I'm not going to say no pun intended, the small stuff, but he's more character-based in looking at stories. So he made... Small dramas, but with big emotions. Election is one of his films. Actually, that was kind of his breakthrough in the late 90s. Uh, Sideways. uh, Oh, I've heard of Sideways. Well, you've heard of it. Well, yeah. I've probably sat in a room while it was playing and remember some things. Paul Giamatti. Yes, Paul Giamatti. And there was Um, something like with wedding rings that I remember. And wine tasting. Yes, the movie's about wine tasting. Uh, That's that's where it's set. Then you have The Descendants with George Clooney. You have... uh, I remember when that came out. Okay. And then there was Nebraska with... uh, Oh, with... uh, Bruce Stern. Yeah, Bruce Stern. Yeah. Um, that that's known for not being the Bruce Springsteen based uh, film, um, but anyway, so that's mostly his niche. And so he comes out with downsizing. Yeah, this is his stab at big budget filmmaking. This had a seventy million dollar budget. Wow. Yeah. Big budgets, not so small ideas, but. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to keep on that track. So so let's talk about, let's give like a basic thing about it. Corey, what is downsizing about, spoiler free? Downsizing is set in the near future where some Norwegian scientists develop the ability to shrink people mm-hmm. to be five inches tall. They create this technology with altruistic goals to save the environment because tiny people consume less resources. However, like you. <laughs> the primary appeal... People like me are the problem. Oh, yeah. Like me and Jack here. We're coming for you. Like the, the tiny people the world. Right. will rise against you. <laughs> so 
science's interest in downsizing is resource, resource conservation and environmental protection. The appeal of downsizing from the people who volunteer to be downsized is because everything is fantastically cheaper yeah. in a downsized world. Yes. Because when you are downsized, you move to a little community where everyone else is downsized. And when you do that, you're the, the downsized communities use a currency converter. Yes. Where your resources are dramatically amplified. The example in this is Matt Damon and his wife, uh, they like have a hundred thousand dollars between them. If they go if they get if they get <clears throat> shrunk and convert their resources, that becomes like twelve million dollars that they can live on for the rest of their life. Right. So so it's basically in other words, if you have just a little bit of money, you know, you're you're bas yeah, you are set for life. Um, which which brings up a lot of questions, which I'll get to in a little bit. Which the movie touches on, but we'll we'll get on. Yeah, yeah we do have. But to but but basically, what happens to though to follow up on what Corey said, um, Matt Damon gets shrunk. Uh, this actually isn't a spoiler because it was in the trailer. First third of the movie. Yeah, the first third of the movie, he gets shrunk. Kristen Wiig gets cold feet. She doesn't join him, and, and he's basically st stuck by himself. Yeah, he he has to get forever. divorced and. Uh, and then he it's goes his on. his life from then on. Yeah, it's his, uh, uh, I'm, I can't keep making small puns. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he has. I, I, I insist that you make a small all right. pun right Well, now. he has, you know, he has not too big aspirations, but he gets swept up in a pretty large adventure sort Good. of. All right, that's the basic Size plot. puns are encouraged. <laughs> so here's my reaction to this film, and I don't know how you guys feel. Okay. This is my reaction in a nutshell. Hmm. <laughs> I hmm. wish you guys could see Jack's face right now. Like, hmm. I feel almost the same way. Yeah. Right? I was I was quite intrigued by this film. Yes. Because the, the previews promised some very intriguing things to me. Yeah. And I was like, well, this seems like a really good premise to begin with yes i it's like there are a lot of ramifications to people being shrunken there are, this world this movie clearly seems to be focused on that sort of idea of the of this this tiny world and yeah. people going to make a new life life for themselves so i i expect this to be a decent uh to 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 mine that material and do something interesting with it and for the most part i'm kind of happy with it they could have gone a little deeper, but the way they went was okay. Um, I, it was okay, but without saying too much, I feel like this premise, it, it either needed to be shorter, like the, or as far as like, this actually could have made a really fantastic episode of like the Twilight Zone, or I don't know if this popped in your head, Corey, but... Um, for those of you who might have heard of this show, uh, like last night, we just watched an episode of the series called Black Mirror. And, oh, the uh, modern Twilight Zone, they're calling it? I guess they sort of are. I mean, it's a, it's a type of show. It's an anthology type of show where each It is episode, a modern Twilight Zone. Yeah, That's it is. a perfect comparison. Yeah. And we watched this episode that was all about, um, like, people who, like, in, like, a kind of other future who uh, uh, get... Everybody rates everyone on their phones, like as if it's like Yelp. Everybody gets a star rating and you have like a, uh, a you, you get entry or 
are closed out of things in life based on what your star rating is. Okay. And um, and it was a really, really well done uh, piece of uh, writing and, and just entertaining because it, it kind of took that type of science fiction uh, satirical part of something that I think is also you could see in downsizing. I don't know if you made that connection at all, Corey. No. But, well, no, that no. was on my mind. I think that this either could have worked if they had condensed it and made it like an hour long type of thing, or it needed to be an actual series, like a continuous series where you could have explored this world and all of the ramifications and questions that come up because you're dealing with a, I think this premise is actually really fantastic. This premise is a gold mine. Yes, it is. Part of the fun of, uh, of me anticipating this film was okay. They're not going to do this, but wouldn't it be cool if blah blah blah? Exactly, exactly. What, you two won't get this, but one of my one of my hopes is that this will be the prequel to Attack on Titan. Hmm. See, you don't get it. No, right? <laughs> for those of you listening who know what I'm talking about, feel free to laugh. All right, um, you're too deep for us. That's right, <laughs> but. <laughs> It's, but it's like, well, th- th- I felt like there were so many ways this is going to go, which is why I'm kind of happy with this film. It chose a direction, and it went with that. It, it did, but I feel like in the second half, I'm not saying it completely went off of a cliff or something like that. It, it started off kind of interesting because you learn that, for, this isn't exactly a spoiler either, but Matt Damon, uh, the main character, plays Paul. He, he finds that... Uh, he, he has these neighbors who are kind of wild and crazy party guys. Right. Played by, who else would you want your neighbors to be? Christoph Waltz and Udo Kier. I was so happy that Udo Kier was in this. <laughs> I kind of got spoiled that he was in it. I wish I hadn't been, because that would have made it all the better. Yeah. I know that you we, we, we've probably brought up Udo Kier before on the show. Yeah. Um, Udo Kier is so fantastic. And, and just like Christoph Waltz, uh-huh. I was so happy. You know, I'm glad he, he was going to be in it. And he's grown He's great in this film, but yeah. then it's like you get—it's like two for the price of one. What do you think, Corey? My thing is, this movie's watchable, but I think it really squanders. It. I think it really squanders its premise. To me, one of my biggest issues with this movie is that you have this high concept, unique setup, and I would argue the fact that the characters are small. Is pretty much irrelevant in the entire second half of the movie. It does become mm. a little incidental. In fact, there's, yeah. a, there's an interesting phenomena with this film. Like, there are points in the film where you can forget that these people are tiny. Well, one of the characters even says that. Matt Damon's character says at one point, because the small live in all small person communities, everything looks normal in the movie. Right, yeah. Because they live in tiny manufactured communities that are built to scale, Mm -hmm. and everyone around them is small. So I actually think that what this movie did was... um, Alexander Payne wrote this as well. Yeah, he he had a co-writer, but yeah, it's an original script. So... I feel like Alexander Payne had about half a dozen ideas and 
they're all half baked. They're all just kind of <laughs> tossed in there. But if you, if you take six dozen half baked ideas and put them together, you have three baked ideas. <laughs> six one half dozen of the so, other. Right. <laughs> I it was watchable, but to me, this is very much a picture of squandered potential because okay. I feel like they don't really do anything really creative with the idea of small people. And also, um, we're going to go into this in more detail later when we talk about spoilers, but I will say that generally I found the political commentary in this film juvenile and obvious. Uh, I don't know if, well, that's, hmm, not obvious. I guess that is a way to put it. That, well, that's why what you're talking about, Corey, I think is why I mentioned that this could have been a series. And I think that I read somewhere that Payne originally actually created this idea for TV. And I, maybe he wasn't able to get it made or something. And then he decided to just make it into a film, um, which maybe explains some things. I mean, I think that some of the questions sort of politically or socially it brings up are intriguing, at least at first. I mean, again, it's this idea that, you know, the world is losing its resources. The environment is, you know, going to kill us because we're, we're killing the planet. So let's try to make sure that we're not as big of a threat to the planet. Um, but then the things that it eventually gets to, like in the second half, or especially near the end, it, it almost felt a little bit like a half-baked Charlie Kaufman script in a way. Like... This could have been something like a being John Malkovich or something, and it just didn't quite get there. I don't know if maybe part of that might be also that you make Matt Damon the central character. If maybe you had other characters who are more developed that you're playing off of, where it's not just him. You know, because he, it's like he's the focal point and we're following his journey. And I think from a writing standpoint, watching this, I keep wondering, okay, what is his goal? Like, does he have one? I mean, maybe that's kind of part of the point is that well, towards, he doesn't have a defined goal. After that third act, he, he becomes kind of aimless. He gets a purpose when he starts meeting other people, like like his neighbor and the Vietnamese woman. Who's, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. I, and again, he doesn't... You're right. He doesn't have a goal. Yeah. But he kind of... But he allows himself to be swept up in other people's doings. And and just move from scene to scene. And so I He's not, not an active character. He's like a passive participant in this story. Right. More or less. I mean, eventually All the he's, big decisions in this movie are made by other people. Yes, they're made they're kind of made for him. He's just kind of going along with it because oh, hey, I mean, I'm I'm a divorced guy, you know, I'm I'm working like now, you know, when he's now in this downsizing downsized World, which is it called Leisureland? Yeah, Leisureland. Yes. Jesus Christ! What? <laughs> they couldn't come up with a better name. Truth in advertising. People yeah, in America I guess so. like bland stuff. Yeah. Well, maybe that's the thing about Matt Damon. This movie, without again trying not to try avoid spoilers, I found him a little bland in this. Huh. I don't know. Like, I do you know what I mean? I understand what you're saying. Maybe I, that's part of the point. I agree that he's both kind of passive and I would say my issues with this movie were I would have been fine with a kind of passive lead character who blunders into things if I thought the movie 
actually did more or said more. Yeah. Or, like, if Matt Damon was a passive spectator to more interesting side characters, something I would be a, okay with Something it. with a little more intrigue, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm judging this film harshly because I'm judging it based on what it could have on been. On its potential. Well, also, who yeah. made it? The fact that Alexander Payne is, you know, one of our... I guess you could say best directors Every working under 60. Every movie Alexander Payne has made has been really good. Now, I don't... I know he doesn't have that many. And actually, I'm going to savor this moment because it doesn't happen very often. I've seen every Alexander Payne movie, which no one else at this table can. I say. haven't seen. I haven't seen Citizen Ruth. I've seen like a scene or two. Although, from it. in fairness, I'm being a total poser because I saw Citizen Ruth so long ago. I remember almost none of it. Yeah, pose it up. Yeah, but do it. It's somewhere in your memory bank. Alexander Payne. Every movie he's made, I have really liked. Like, I. How do, actually, Sideways is probably my least favorite Alexander Payne movie, but even that's pretty good. So, first off, I have a very high bar set for Alexander Payne yeah, movies. Second of all, when I saw the trailers for this movie, I thought to myself, hallelujah, a movie that is not a remake or a sequel yeah. or a reboot. So... An actual original premise is like a glass of water in the desert. It's yeah. take it's taking the idea of like you know like even going you know you go back to like the fifties and you have like the Incredible Shrinking Man or something like that, right? Um, which I haven't seen, but I know the general premise. That, of that by the way is a very good movie. Have we ever talked about that on the podcast? We might have won. I've certainly seen it within the last two years. Okay. Yeah, because that, that's one of those movies I've heard about for a long time. And yeah, I, I, Didn't Richard Matheson write that? He wrote the novel. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that, it's kind of like taking that idea or, you know, even like Ant-Man or something. And actually, I, I heard another reviewer say this about downsizing they, they, after they saw downsizing they didn't hate the movie but they described it as pretentious ant-man <laughs> <laughs> well, i was hoping there would be a post-credit scene where ant-man would show up <laughs> with that with matt damon and it would be, it would be, they, i guess yeah cross with paramount and disney i i wish they had either made this a comedy or a pure character drama because yeah. I was so dissatisfied with the quality of political messaging in this film. Oh, yeah. And mm. it's not even that the film said things I disagree with. Right. It's just yeah. that I seriously think this was operating at like seventh grade civics. Well, well my problem was not I mean, there is there is some of that, but I think I had more I had more of an issue of again, try not to say too much for the people who want to see this movie. I had more of an issue of the kind of logistics of what the world was that they were trying to create that they were playing with you were trying yeah. to you were trying to figure out the details the yeah world, i was because it wasn't fleshed out enough baked. yeah the, because the world building is half baked when they introduce when they have this whole element involving this vietnamese character and she's played by the actress hong chow and God, for the life of me, I wish I remembered her I don't name think that's better. That's Vietnamese name, but okay. Uh, but, well, she plays a character named Lok Long Tron. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to read the name, and it's you know one of those names that is just. I mean, I'm Lock sure. Long Tron. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
Again, uh, terrible. Again, it's terrible. funny that she's actually, I don't know if you've seen this, Corey, but she's actually getting some awards attention. Huh. And I didn't see it at all. I Maybe some of that's the writing, but... This is tricky, where I don't... Her performance is fine. I just don't think any character in this movie is three-dimensional enough yeah. for an actor to win an award. It's not, it's not to say, though, that these characters aren't entertaining. Especially no, no, Christoph no, there are some. Oh, sure. The, well, that Waltz is, and Udo Kier show up, and that, they, they make some of the best parts of the movie. You, you can't not be entertained by those actors playing this wall. Like, there's just one moment where Udo Kier says Lake Titicaca. Yes. And the way he says it <laughs> is like one of my favorite moments in a movie this year. Like Titicaca. <laughs> but I think with Matt Damon, going back to him for a second, here's what I wanted to bring up to you, Andrew. And I mentioned this reference kind of obliquely before we started recording. A vibe I got from Matt Damon watching this movie. And again, he's not bad, but do you remember in the Oscars when uh, they had the bit with, where Jimmy Kimmel, you know, because throughout the Oscars, they had this thing where actors are talking about their favorite movies. Yes. And Jimmy Kimmel is watching We Bought a Zoo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't seen We Bought a Zoo, but supposedly it's not one of his best. No. And there's this moment where they're showing a, a clip from the movie and Matt Damon's like, this is about having a zoo with lots of cool animals and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like that was a lot of his acting in this movie. It's a, it's of a similar vein. Granted, <laughs> I've only seen that part of <laughs> We Bought a Zoo. But the funniest thing, by the way, in that Oscars, like, after they showed that clip, Matt Damon actually presented an award, yeah. and he came out, he's like, hey, I liked We Bought a Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like Matt Damon is working on that level. He he's It feels like he's really trying <laughs> to elevate this material in some way. Um, that maybe again, maybe Alexander Payne wasn't fully there for him. I actually read that he 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 made this movie only because he wanted to work with him. Huh. Like I don't know if it was because of the script, which is funny because without know, saying too much, another movie that popped into my head. I don't know if this is a good thing or not. Is Elysium? Do you oh, want to know? Elysium. Yeah, what movie popped into my mind? Please, as I was watching yes. this. So there's a there's a scene where. This is not a big spoiler, but sometimes uh, characters talk about Antarctica. Yes. And I had, they're talking about Antarctica and the environment, and I started thinking, Birdemic. <laughs> <laughs> and because it just felt like they're just... Whoa! You just blew my mind. And I'm just like, characters are just inserting inserting environmental talk into the script. And I'm just like, what other film does this? Only Birdemic did this. If, if you could please excuse me, I think I saw a mountain lion over there. Oh, I gotta get out of this mountain lion. You have a beautiful mind, Andrew. Oh, man. I was I was hoping... I don't think it's that bad. No, no, no. Nothing's is, as bad as Birdemic. This is head and shoulders about Birdemic. But when I had flashes to Birdemic during this film, I was like, all right, we're, we're on shaky ground right now. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, too, because, again, Payne began his career making a pretty... Again, I haven't seen it, but from what I've heard, Citizen Ruth is a movie that deals with a very hot-button political issue, which is abortion. 
and you know made a really compelling movie about that. So I don't, I don't know what happened with this one. Yeah, I maybe re- it's like maybe what kind of threw him was that sort of s- that sci-fi element. It, it's, what, I think it starts off actually pretty promising. Like the first third, I'd say good. I was I was with this movie. I think that there was a certain point, maybe like the last third or so, or maybe where I was just kind of like. As Corey said, it's watchable, but it's. I felt very passive watching it. I didn't oh, yeah. feel engaged with it like I that, should have been. I would put that down to. I don't know if you'd say like the pacing of it. Maybe because the, the yeah, film it's starts, a little long too. The film starts with the discovery of shrinking things, mm-hmm. and it goes through, and it goes through everything chronologically. In yes, this very gradual pace. Here's the scientists discovering things. Here's the presentation of it. Yeah. Here's like the first ad for it. We get uh, and we get Matt Damon introduced, and then here's like two years later, and then we see a thing, and ten years later when Matt Damon and his wife finally decide to go through with this thing. Yeah. And it's it's not very. I, I'm thinking about this in my head. It's like we should be cutting back and forth between some things. We should be yeah. playing with our chronology. We should be getting a lot of detail in really fast. We don't need to go through everything in every step. It, it's too abbreviated. Again, you either. Yeah, it, I don't think it's abbreviated. It's just like, wait, did you say? Well, it well, as I said, or well, as I said at the beginning of the review, either you make this much much tighter, and yeah. you, again, if you take the Twilight Zone approach, or again, Black Mirror, or whatever. Then you have you, you you deal with that kind of concept in a much clearer, you know, well defined way. Yeah. Uh, you know, you immediately establish. Okay, here's the small community. The person goes into it. You do that in like the first five minutes because all that is fascinating. I mean, like this idea. Or of like, you explore it more. You have a whole ha, take an entire season of a show and establish what happens in those first ten years. It could it could be that. Y- it could have been a lot more about just like exploring this world. Yeah. I, Matt Damon's character is pretty passive anyway. He just get if he just gets swept from area to area to seeing all these different aspects of tiny of tiny civilization. Yeah. I mean, that would be fantastic. But the, because there's a lot to explore, even in the film as it's presented. Yeah. I mean, everyone's talking about like we're gonna shrink down. We're gonna we're gonna help the earth and right off the bat someone admits it's not about that it's, it's about, about being rich yeah it's, it's about, about being rich it's also about see obviously saying money this isn't exactly a spoiler this is just me kind of pointing out like a small thing now i don't know if you noticed this like there's this moment where matt damon is in the waiting room to yeah. go into uh get downsized in the room i'm gonna be try i'm gonna try to be careful talking about this but I am Jewish, so it's okay. Uh, you can say anything you want. He's Jewish. All right, all right. <laughs> I have the Jew card. No. Um, they they show, like, there's this Hasidic family that's yes. waiting in the room. Yeah. Yes. When I saw that, my mind flashed to the fact that there are a good number of Hasidic Jews, uh, communities that live in uh, nearby in Brooklyn and also in uh, areas in upstate New York and Rockland right. County. Uh. Why don't you explore that a little bit? Like, who are the people who are really latching on to this right away? Is it just, like, middle-class people? Is it, Or is it people who systematically spend their lives saving money? Like, these, you know, there are Hasidic Orthodox Jews who um, actually have kind of been able to take... T- and this is maybe getting to real-world stuff, but, like, in... You know, you've kind of heard about this too, Corey, where... 
like in places in Rockland County, they find ways to not have to pay taxes. Well, yeah, they have large like families that. and low income. Well, I uh, there is you do have a point where you're talking about like well, there are a lot of communities of Orthodox. In other there words, are a lot of communities of different people. In other words, who do want to who do want to form these communities? Why don't you have like? You could have, like, a group. Where it was an about- interesting suggestion of something that was a good idea. Maybe that's symptomatic of a problem with the movie where they give they plant this little idea at you. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's this Hasidic family that's going to get shrunken down. Some people might just see that watching the movie and go, all right, that doesn't mean anything to me. Me seeing that, I thought, oh, that's an interesting I idea. I want to watch a movie about that. Yeah, what happens in, like, the part of the leisure town now town or whatever also is it only leisure town no there, there are, are lots of different cities they have lots of different cities that's the something else i never why saw he was interested in leisure land was a his friend was right right jason sudeikis is a was from leisure here. land and also they said leisure land had especially nice amenities but for me when i saw the hasidic family I didn't think how cool would it be to see a shrunken village of Hasidic Jews, although that would be cool. <laughs> no, it would be cool. But I was curious, what would be the religious response to downsizing? Yeah. Now that's, like, something, now that's something the film doesn't even touch. No, yeah. not at all. I mean, again, we can I, that's, and you can't blame the film for yeah. that because there's so much going on. But I mean, it's but still, that's an unanswered question that would be worth exploring. Yeah, I it's, guess this movie... It's such fertile ground. The potential is so... I mean, the idea is so rich. There are so many different places Mm. you could take it. And I, too, thought this movie had a strong beginning. But I thought Alexander Payne took this million-dollar idea to a very pedestrian place. He played it pretty safe. Yeah, he played safe, but also there are too many loose ideas forming. And a, a thing that just popped into my head is another... It's another. It's a comparison to something that does this kind of thing right. Wally, you remember oh, yeah. Wally? Like, uh, have you seen Wally, yeah. Andrew? Okay, in that movie, it, they, you know, they, they give you a lot about this. You know, what's happened with the world that people decided. You know, hey, there's space out in space, right? And you know, it, all these people Enjoy went on the to, freedom of the off-world world colony. Yeah, it's the final <laughs> frontier. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a lot, Fred Willard in the movie. Um, but anyway, they... Oh, God. Now... If, if someone, if, like, a Walmart, like, branded space is the final frontier... Oh, it will I happen one day. I shoot myself in the face. <laughs> I don't know. I want to visit the final frontier. You mean frontier? Yes, the um, final frontier. Okay. But the point I'm making, though, is that... <laughs> so that movie did it right because it started off really establishing the character and his relationship to the world and Wally but and also the world. You the world yeah. About Wally the world. and his well, you, and the you, Eve. And then it's finally halfway into the movie that we actually see, okay, what is this whole uh by and large all about? What's and, the big picture? And you could ask and you could probably ask a lot of questions about that premise. Sure. But you get enough to understand, okay, here's what happened to these people here's this type of situation. And it was fully intriguing and engaging because maybe, maybe that was a, a slightly different example because you had a character out of, you know, fish out of water going into this world. But, but that did a, like a much better job of what this is trying to do, where you raise these 
really strong questions that you can do in science fiction, but it... I don't know what I'm trying to say. I think we can all agree that this film doesn't quite do the concept justice. No. No. Without... By, by because it looks token. because it looks good. Yeah, that's the thing too. Is that the trailer sells you visually on it? Like Alexander Payne clearly spent his money well in that regard. Like you believe that you're looking at little, you know, tiny people in a big world. Those were all very people, well done trailers. Yeah, I feel like this movie needed more. Um, in terms of how the movie looked visually, you needed more interplay between the big world and the small world. Because yeah. when the small characters spend 95% of the movie just interacting with other small characters, right. you're really kind of blowing it. What you need, what made this movie better was having the small characters more integrated into the big world. Yes. So we, the audience, are constantly... Aware of the scale. Yeah, yeah. you're, you're close. And the thing is, the, 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 we see that the... Honey, I Shrunk the Kids did it better than this movie uh. <laughs> Yeah. Now, by the same wow. by the same token, uh, yeah, there, there are problems. But every time the film seemed to be getting away from that, what always brought my attention back to the film was that sort of that shrunken person concept. Because there's so much. It's built. To, it's not that they completely lose that these are shrunken people in like this world, I think it's more that it just becomes like a gag here and there. Like, for example, there's a point where the characters are on a ship going to somewhere. And the way that the movie shows us is like, it, it shows like a sea and then all of a sudden there's like a little arrow that points <laughs> to that. Yeah. Maybe it treats it a little bit too much like a gag too often to the point where that's why you forget about the real, you know, Inter small people interacting with the big world because they don't do enough of that. Like, Westworld, the TV show, I think also does this a little bit better. And, and in fact, that has a similar thing where, like, characters have created, like, a little world uh, where, you know, pe people go into... I guess that's a little bit more like a video game, you could say, but... Um, Can we transition to spoilers? Okay. I, I'm hoping we can do that again soon. Uh, let's see if... Uh, let's wrap up our non-spoiler yeah. thoughts there. Again, I... If you asked me overall my my impre my thought, like if I had to give you like my... Uh, here's my review. I, I don't say this is bad. I don't think this is a complete failure. But it also... It... It kind of lost me in like the second half of it, more or less. And it, sometimes it would try to bring me back with an interesting idea um, or maybe like a moment of acting that I bought into. But by the end of it, I was just like, okay, let's wrap this whole thing up. And the way that it ended too was just really abrupt too. Mm. So I would give this like a, it's okay-ish, but not much more than that. And that's, it's definitely the, the, the disappointment of Alexander Payne's career for me. All right. Uh, well, it's hard to say because this isn't an it's, awful or unpleasant it's, experience. It's, You're it's, not, it's not called me by your name. <laughs> it is not called me by your name. That is for sure. Which you got to listen to that, Andrew, that, that review, Andrew. So, sure. It's not like you're sitting in the movie theater in pain or anything, but for me, 
This is set up with a totally disappointing payoff. So I wouldn't remember, I wouldn't recommend it because now that the movie's over, all I'm sitting with is my frustration over what Alexander Payne chose to do with the concept. Okay, fair enough. I had pretty high expectations going into this mm. uh, because I, my imagination kind of just ran wild with it. Sure. You would that, do so much better at this. Yeah, than, I think you would too. Both oh, of I you gotta, guys I got to tell you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, uh, so I was disappointed. However, the movie itself is not bad. It's got it's got its uh, good performances. Uh, Matt Damon is not impressive in this, but he does a pretty good job, I think. And for the most part, Alexander Payne casts the movie fairly well. Yeah, and I think it does enough with the concept to justify itself. It just should have done better. It doesn't make the landing. No, it's just like. It makes the landing, but the jump itself was not as ambitious as you thought it would be. Hmm. It's That's like someone gets on the high dive. It's like an Olympian going on the high dive, and they're like, you're watching, it's like, what are they going to do? Are they going to do like 20 backflips and go into the water? It's like, no, they just do a regular dive, and they go into the water clean. And it's like, well, okay, that was a good dive, but it was just a dive. Mm. That, that, that tortured metaphor... Yeah. Is my opinion of this film. Yeah. It also might have been a different impression, too, for me if, again, this filmmaker didn't have, you know, like 20 years of work that gave us this impression. Like, if this was like a first or second film, I'd be like, okay. I mean, that was ambitious. You didn't quite get there, but, you know, it's nothing to be too embarrassed about. I mean, and I don't and I don't hold it against the film that it reminded me of Birdemic. That just happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, again, I, I brought up a number I of I wish the film had reminded me of Birdemic. It didn't. I wish I had thought of that, though, because then I would have chuckled to myself in my seat. If it had used, like, Microsoft Paint from 1995 <laughs> for its visual effects. <laughs> so I wish I had been living in your head when you were thinking of Birdemic. Okay. So now... It's kind of line. All right. So now at this point, okay. I'm going to uh, uh, put us into the machine uh, so I can pull the lever... I guess somebody else will pull the lever because I can't do it now. We're going to shrink down and go into a small spoiler corner so nobody else will get spoiled. Yes, and uh, I'll see what happens with my cavities and all that. Welcome, everybody. I'm Jeff Lenowski, senior product specialist and happy homeowner here at Leisureland Estates. You having a good time? So, what do you think of my place? Just wait till you see what's inside. gotta stop inviting guests over without telling me. I finally just got in the tub to relax after such a busy day. First I took a tennis lesson and had a massage. Nice. And then after a gourmet lunch with the girls, well, we couldn't help ourselves, so we popped into that new Loger jewelry store downtown. Uh-oh, Loger? What's that gonna cost me? I was really good. Just another diamond bracelet. Just a diamond bracelet? That doesn't sound like you. You're right, I don't like to break up a set, so I got matching diamond earrings and a matching diamond necklace. How much, Laura? Oh, but Jeff, they look so good on me. I said how much? $83. $83? Why, that's practically our food budget for two whole months. You okay. can also bail Spoilers. out your spouse if you're All right, all right, all right. Um, here's a thing I'd like to get out of the way. Technically not a spoiler, but 
one of the major flaws that I can really point to yeah. is the relationship between Matt Damon and Kristen Wiig. Hmm. Because I didn't really think about that. Because but, it, but that is but that's not bad. Go go on. Uh, the problem I think is that the whole thir- first act is building up to this point where it's like Matt Damon's wife, Paul's wife. Paul's the name of the character. Yeah. She decides not to go through with downsizing, mm-hmm. and it's too late for Paul. He's already shrunk. He can't go back. Yeah. And she's just like, no, not doing it. Now, that's pretty devastating mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of awful things and they, to do. And they cut a year ahead. Yeah. And, and it's like, that could have been that could have been a really emotional moment. But it's but the problem is is that we don't have enough information about their marriage. Paul's wife and their marriage. And it's like, they seem okay. Yeah, they didn't they seem, seem like, that bad. They, they seem like a bland couple. They don't seem to have, like, any major conflicts. They don't seem to have any major things. Like, there's a really a nice scene where Kristen Wiig's character talks to her dad. And she seems kind of broken up now, about the fact that her mom yeah. can't get past what they're going to do. And that's great. But it's like... But we're not worried too much about that relationship. That's one. That just becomes a reason for her not to do it. What's really... It really has to, there has to be like this, this, the breaking of the relationship between those two has to be big. Because in the second act, that start that sets up Matt Damon's whole malaise and his whole, th- yeah. And, but we don't, I, I didn't feel enough about those two as a couple. Yeah. Because we just don't know enough about them. So when yeah. they break, it's just like, well, it's kind of funny, yeah. but you don't get that emotional punch well, well, to the gut that you're supposed to Well, that's the thing is that when we very when we first meet Matt Damon for the very first time, it's when he's taking care of his sick mother. Right. And I get that, like, I think the movie wants to establish maybe more than the relationships part is just how Matt Damon's leading a very humdrum you know, very, like, I'm not making a lot of money. I have kind of like a, I guess in a way you could say miserable existence, but it's still not that bad There's considering not- that, you know, he, you know, he's still a white guy in America. <laughs> he's not doing that bad. Right. But, um, but you could have used that Hashtag scene. Hashtag white people problem. But you could have used that scene to establish a little bit. I mean, I know that they wanted to establish like his pattern that, you know, I always have to pick up food and. Nobody wants to eat it and all that. But, but he yeah, but this, but he does the same things with his wife. He picks up food for her and he uses his physical therapy skills to kind of help her feel better. It's not about. It's, let me put it this way: it pain doesn't you doesn't take the same time to develop Kristen Wiig that he does with Matt Damon. And ultimately, yeah, that's a choice he has to make because she's going to disappear to a third of the way into the film. But, I mean, we have to have something. If you're going to take out a character who we think is going to be, like, a, a big part of this movie, I mean, the trailers show us Kristen Wiig is part of it. It's kind of like in Star Wars where, you know, you think Obi-Wan Kenobi is, like, a major character and then, spoilers, he dies. Two-thirds of the way through. Yeah, the but, we've, but we've seen the relationship between Luke and Obi-Wan by that point. We know why Obi-Wan means a lot in this world. We right. all know that. Does that make sense, Corey? Yeah. I, I, too, wish we had gotten a better sense of their marriage. My interpretation of the break, and I might be reading into the movie more than the movie itself did, but the way I read it, Matt Damon... His emotional life revolved pretty much solely around his wife, where his wife had a series of important emotional connections in addition to her husband. Well, that's true. I agree with you. Hmm. It's, it's, uh, 
and you know, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, he, it, it's he, and clearly once once we find out she doesn't want to go through with it, she realizes she was not into this as much as he was. Right, but the but you could have emphasized that more. I don't think I saw enough of that. Like you just kind of saw her going along with it. You need to have a like a maybe a stronger scene where she's really questioning it, or actually has like a real conversation with him about it. Yeah, and, but and every time she talks about it. Or, or whenever she's at the downsizing place, like, or it, or at Le- uh, Leisureland. Yes. It's like, she seems just as enthusiastic about it as he does. Yeah. And, and, and she's like, wow, look at that. Or, oh, we'll have this much money. Or it's going to be like, oh, think of all the things they're doing. And she talks about it probably more than he does. Yeah. Yeah. And also, and it's like. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, surprise, she doesn't want to do it as much as she did. And it is kind of funny when they're having that conversation over the phone Mm -hmm. where she has one eyebrow left and she's already in the air. Well, again, that's another example. What the hell was that all about? (laughs) Well, well, again, it's yeah, I was going to say by that point, wasn't she knocked out? Because the movie shows us that you have to get knocked out before they shave before you get knocked out. But okay, so she quits in the middle of that. Fine. But and it's all just so about she humorously, So she humorously has her one eyebrow left, which is a nice touch. Yeah, no, but, it's fine. But it's like, she's she's already quit, and she's already fled to the airport. That makes her look awful. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and, you know... I, it, I don't know what you do in that situation, really, but fleeing to the airport is not it. <laughs> it's not a movie that has, frankly, the best female characters, you could say. <laughs> I mean, that's where we can get into, uh, you know, Hong Chao's character, who I just, like, again, I, she does as well, I think, as she can, but I just found her really one-dimensional. I don't know about you, Corey. Like, I found uh, her to she's be... A pr- she's a pretty flat character. She's a basically a type. She's the type that you almost picture sometimes being made fun of, like, by, frankly, racists. I'm not saying that this movie is racist, but... The type of character that we're given is like as when the first time we get to see her, we've heard about her before in the movie. Her setup is that, and this is where I'm going to get into the whole problem with the world building thing. She and a few other Vietnamese people were smuggling themselves in by shrinking themselves into like a no. TV box. No, the Vietnamese box. government shrunk them. Oh, oh, they, they were shrunk punitively them. shrunken. Oh, they were punitively Which, shrunken. Again, great concept. And almost that, nothing. And what the, but that came out of nowhere for me. It's like, okay, but so the, this is where my problem with the world building, I got to get this out of the way. It seemed like at first they set up, okay, here are these scientists who created this really amazing shrinking technology. How does it get into the hands of like, you know, bastard Vietnamese government? <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, it, it, it just, it seems like a, you, a thing to make it to easy. Make, if you're willing to get that little bit about shrinking prisoners down punitively, then you could easily overlook how they got that. Yeah, but I could just... Could be pirated, it, it, could it be just, stolen, could be they then, bought it on the black market. And they're they also, just bought it the other thing that we're led to show, too, is that in Leisure Town, um, or Leisureville or whatever... There's this whole little community outside of this wall. There's yeah. this hole, and you drive through the hole, and all of a sudden you come onto. This is why I made the Elysium comparison, mm-hmm. because in Elysium you have the world where everybody up above is living really nice and 
on the hog. Then you have the lower world where everyone is living in shit. And this is meant to be that type of thing where you have all these immigrants who somehow come into this world and are just on the edge of where the fence separates them into the real world, the rest of the big world. And I was just watching it and maybe, maybe I didn't get enough of a connection to the explanations, but I was looking at that like, okay, how how does nobody else see that these people are living here? Well, they knew they were there because there was netting over there and no, but there's like this hole, like don't they have, clearly they knew there was a hole there and there was a bus line that went to it. Clearly this this is a part of leisure, of leisure, leisure village, whatever. Leisure land. (laughs) Leisure land. All right. Clearly this is a legitimate part, but but it's, it is just the ghetto. Yeah. But it, it felt like just, that's maybe where I think you were talking about, Corey, where it, it feels like that this could just be in the regular world. Yeah, this... It really bothered me that Alexander Payne's brilliant, creative, original contribution to the discourse was that a town of rich people is surrounded by um, a group of poor immigrants who do housekeeping work. Right. Wow. Mind blown. So you're telling me that Leisure Land has poor people in it and yeah. that the poor people do scut work for the rich people. Yeah. And because they're poor, they live in shabby apartments, receive substandard to non-existent health care and live lives of quiet desperation just steps away from wealth and opulence. Yeah. Mind blown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's the same thing in Elysium. It's like your your whole commentary is just rich people up here, poor people down here. So when I say Yeah, it's it's not the most original concept. <laughs> and, and and so when you but when you introduce this character in the mix of it, it just it it felt very like boilerplate. Yeah. And I said in the beginning of our reviews that I thought the political commentary in this movie was juvenile and obvious. And this is what I'm getting to. Okay. Because Alexander Payne's big message seems to be that wealth corrupts the individuals of leisure land and makes them indifferent to the suffering of the people who have to serve them. Well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's not much to go beyond that. Yeah, and really all that we learn is that the rich in Leisure Land are rich, the poor are poor. How did they even get in there if they were poor? Well, see... (laughs) Well, I know they tried to show that, but it... it, What this movie could have done is one of the big, you know, premises of downsizing was the idea that... I'll be right back in just a second. Right. If you are middle class, you can become rich right. by downsizing. Um, and if you are poor, you can at least step up the economic ladder. Right. So one character says... Right, but, sorry, you go on. One character says downsizing is economically beneficial unless you are very poor. Then you're just small. Yeah. So I can see the appeal of downsizing to the poor. Right. Because they're fed a bill of goods. Right. That, well, if I downsize, I'll get out of my 
And then, shockingly, the small society just replicates the class conditions of the large society, yeah. which, you know, that might be realistic, but it's not interesting, it's not creative, and... I don't need Alexander Payne to tell me that rich people are served by a variety of people in economically dire conditions. Right. I don't need a movie to tell me that. Any non-brain-damaged 10-year-old <laughs> doesn't need a movie to tell them that. So, yeah. what does this movie have to say? Ugh, not Corey, much. Corey, you know what has to say? Environmental climate change, bad. Yeah, climate change, <laughs> bad. Poverty, Sad, wealth, corrupting? Yes. I guess. Well, ultimately, well, that's the thing about his journey where I talk about that, you know, it. this could work if you have a character that's a little bit more active. Or, you know, again, if you have this passive character that's just kind of going along with things. And, it, it, again, eventually what happens is in the movie, um, in the third act, you find out in the original Norwegian colony, that the original small colony where the first people shrunk themselves. Um, which, by the way, that was a weird moment where they explain away like how they aren't attacked by mosquitoes. <laughs> anyway, they find out that the world is going to end because the maybe this is where you thought pandemic because like the the Antarctica the uh, emulsions or whatever they or whatever they call it are going to poison the planet and everything will end. And then Matt Damon has to, is, is, is suddenly realizes, okay, here's why I've been led to this point. I'm going to go into this tunnel where everybody is basically creating like their underground Noah's Ark. And, but his journey to that point, I just, it wasn't that interesting because the movie didn't give me enough to care about. What was interesting was the revelation of the sort of arc that the tiny people were building. And mm -hmm. this idea that they're going to go away, they're going to live there for a few thousand years until everything blows over, and then they're going to reemerge. Yeah. Okay. Uh, great. And that's that's fantastic. I mean, what else would you do? It's it's a fantastic idea that, uh, you know, is... Again, you could explore that. But, no, the, the, it becomes about Matt Damon deciding whether or not he's going to go or not. Yeah. And we could kind of ascertain what he's going to do yeah simply by being savvy moviegoers yeah, yeah. especially but, you know once you have like the gag of uh hung chow being like did we you know you know she has like a whole fuck joke in there too which yes uh, hell with that yeah and it wouldn't be a big hollywood movie without a, sh a shoehorned in chemistry free romance yeah what was up with that i that was a problem i had watching this where it's like for the relationship between them, I thought was a little interesting at first in the sense that, okay, here's this character Matt Damon is playing who uh, originally wanted to be a surgeon, but he ended up kind of getting like a low level, what they call occupational therapy or whatever, where you just like strengthen out arms and stuff like occupational that. Occupational therapists, nothing compared to surgeons. Yeah, exactly. You losers. <laughs> He's a physical therapist for occupational yeah. so, in injuries. Yeah, and so he's kind of plucked by uh, Hong Chow uh, to come into her, you know, little ghetto hovel to help out, like, her mother and then help out other people. And at first you think, okay, well, I guess at least this is giving the character some purpose. You might yeah. think, okay, 
as far as the character's journey in screenwriting terms, maybe this is trying to show how he fulfills like his own central question, which is, you know, what what kind of purpose am I living? But then it jettisons that to have this whole environmental message Norwegian cult thing <laughs> where it looks like suddenly they've gone to hippie land and drum circles. Yeah, exactly. And it just it doesn't fall through on anything that could have made this interesting. And instead, as Corey said, you're just plugging in a love plot where it you didn't see any chemistry between these people. Yeah, they kind of they bantered like buddy cops in a buddy cop film. There was absolutely zero heat. And it was one of those things where it's like, I'm a man and you're a woman. We're both tiny. <laughs> We're both tiny. You know what that means? Oh. Compatible genitals. <laughs> you know what? Something about the whole the world is ending so we must retreat into the little bunker we've built under the earth. Here's something where the, no pun intended, small scale of the film... You intended that pun. <laughs> ...really worked against it for me because I was thinking... Corey doesn't go... She goes She goes big or she goes home. <laughs> if, but she is home. If the Norwegian scientists are correct, and there actually is a character who says they're wrong, the world isn't ending, they're just cultists... But yeah, that's Christoph's if, if the Norwegian colony is right and the world is ending soon enough that people need to get down into the bunker now, right. they wouldn't be the only people who would know. Yeah. People in other parts of the world would know. And you know what they would be doing? Storming that compound. What I'm saying yeah, is, how is it that the level of panic and drama in the world would be intense. I mean, the level of conflict and war and suffering. I was thinking of the movie Deep Impact, which I... <laughs> now, yeah. I only saw Deep Impact the one time in the movie theater, when, and it came out almost 20 years ago. So my memory of it's pretty fuzzy, but I remember in Deep Impact, there was this underground bunker, and there was a lottery to get in the bunker for special people, people with high intellect, rare skills and abilities. I was thinking the idea that these peaceful, happy Norwegians could build this incredibly time and resource intensive bunker without any competition to get into the bunker from the rest of the world. No. In real life, if there was credible evidence that the world was ending, the entire world would be burning itself down and half the world would be in, you know, burning itself down. Yeah. The other half would be frantically doing everything in its possibility to survive. Yeah. So this whole idea that we're going to do drum circles in the beach, on the beach, before <laughs> peaceably going down into our survival bunker. When we reenact, when we reenact, call, when we reenact uh, what was, the, what was the movie I mentioned to you when we were in the theater? The Richie Havens one? Yeah, uh, Woodstock. Yeah. <laughs> this is not how this would work at all. Yeah, they don't, the, the, thing that's in, the thing that's a little bit of like a disconnect with this movie uh, is that, again, you have this... Alexander Payne is a director who, again, he wanted to do something ambitious with this film, but this movie actually kind of confirms for me that he's... 
he's much more interested and much more adept in actually dealing with people. Yeah, people and character relationships, going for like these big ideas. You know, you really have to be like a next level genius to do that. You know, he's really good. He's no like Charlie Kaufman or something. He's not somebody who can make that super leap. He's somebody who, as you said, is still kind of going small scale with it. He's not looking you know, like in a deep impact type of scenario. You're actually seeing the impact throughout the world. You just hear like one news report. Oh, there are there's like gas from coming from Antarctica. Yeah, and, saying, and that's it. I'm not saying deep impact was some great movie because no. it's not. But <laughs> it was the better of the two meteors hitting the earth films in 98. We'll yeah. say that. <laughs> what I'm saying, though, is yes, you I can't know. just introduce an L, a plot element like apocalypse and then treat it like a beach vacation it doesn't yeah. work at all it, that's why i felt kind of passive watching that because it just didn't watching that i just thought well there's no drama going on here it's just here's this thing that's happening and you're not making it interesting enough to me either yeah there's no it's so bizarre how mellow the entire thing is how calm and mellow and peaceful the treatment of the end of the world is. And I know the Norwegian... Clearly you haven't seen, uh... <laughs> oh, last night. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I understand that the Norwegians have a lot of faith in their bunker. Yeah. But are you telling me that they would all be totally blissed out and content facing the potential end of the world, that none of them would be scared that... To me, the more interesting question is what happens after they seal themselves in that bunker. Yeah. Well, I who. think Chris, the Christoph Waltz character is right where he says they probably all kill each other in 50 years. Then we'll have Pandorum. <laughs> <laughs> this movie just keeps reminding us of worse and worse films. <laughs> and, and again, this is better than that, but yeah. it's also kind of a mess when you break it down. It's like, it's going along and it feels kind of peaceful, but when you kind of break down a lot of the parts, it's a half-baked mess. It really is. It's obvious that Alexander Payne had a lot of ideas, but I don't think he gave any one of his individual ideas enough time and effort in the crafting. So there's just these half-baked thoughts that are tossed in the world building is half-assed and yeah the political messaging is at the level of pollution bad wow. poverty bad. bad um racial discrimination racial discrimination bad and again this movie you didn't need i you didn't need to be upfront with those things we could have seen them yeah throughout the entire film and again, this movie replicates the racial hierarchy of the large world. Right. And this remind oh, Jack and I have made multiple references. We watched that horrible um, Will Smith orc movie, uh. Bright. <laughs> and well, I could talk about that in another segment. We were talking about one of the many, 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 many problems with that movie is how boring it is that they just kind of toss elves and orcs into the existing racial dynamic in yeah. Los Angeles, and they don't really think about it. Like, we know that elves are on the top. 
that like elves are superior to all humans and orcs are on the bottom, but it's very half-assed and okay, how does that fit into Los Angeles, which in the real world would have a racial hierarchy? Yeah. So again, and this is both a combination of juvenile political messaging and the fact that they're small is totally irrelevant to the plot. Yeah. All the small world does, all it is, is a copy of the large world. And again, I could see how if the downsizing technology really exists, you could say, oh, well, that would be authentic, that small societies would just replicate the economic and racial dynamics of large societies. Yeah, but, and, it, but things don't really work that way. And that was what bugged me a lot about them introducing that whole element of like the, the poor, you know, little tiny corner of the, of the place. You, you can't do that without having a better setup or really showing how this technology has been used in so many different places mm -hmm. that's created such uh, disparities. And it also, you know, it's, it, it, it yeah, you, I just had an idea. Would you guys have found it more interesting if we followed a poor couple who viewed the opportunity to downsize as a ticket to a better life, and then they found out, spoiler alert, it's not a ticket to a better life? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, this one, there are lots of ways you, you could do a great satire. I mean, they try to hint at that maybe with Matt Damon in the, in the sense that when he gets divorced, I think we're kind of led to think that he didn't, he got a bad deal, so he doesn't have like the great setup that he thought he'd have, where oh, he's yeah. working okay. another menial job. Hashtag white people problem. Yeah, hashtag. Yeah, so yeah, this movie is hashtag white people problems. <laughs> hashtag white male that, people problems. That movie, that's the satire, the satire version of Downsizing needs to be more like Brazil. And it needs to be less like sideways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where and again, I think that Alexander Payne. I, I heard an interview where he said that he might have not been. You know, he he thought he needed like a Hollywood star in order. You know, because you have a budget this big. Sometimes that's what. I guess he, he learned in his fifties as a filmmaker. Gee, if I if I make a movie this big, I'm gonna have to have as my lead somebody who's a worldwide megastar. You know, whereas maybe if he decided to scale back the budget, if he decided to mm -hmm, go smaller, uh, <laughs> if, you know, maybe he could have had something where, as Corey said, you follow, you know, a couple that are poor and then find out it's not what it cranked out to be instead of it being another oh. midlife crisis existential I, movie. I got it. Yep. I got it. What this movie should have been. Okay. Okay. We start with Corey's idea. Poor couple downsizes for the promise of a better life. Yes. Finds out the small world is just as good, is just like the regular world. Yeah. But then it becomes a crime drama where the husband and wife start businesses to make more money. And it's like Christoph Waltz's character is like, uh -huh. he's doing like his luxury thing. So it's like smuggling in stuff from the outside world. Yeah. And then you have like those little ghettos where it's like, oh, we'll hold the stuff for you and like they go to the bad part of town to get the good stuff. Or, and then uh, that's how you get to see different parts of the society where it's it's kind of like a film noir. Where yeah. it's like you see who's high up, you see who's down low, you get to see all the strata through the lens of small crime. Right. 
Yeah. Copyright. (laughs) It's kind of sad that we have spitballed more creative ideas during this review than are actually in the movie. Again, this needs to be a TV show so you could have like a writer's room with people like us who get to spitball ideas about that. We're the best. We are. (laughs) I love you guys. I love you, Corey. Yeah, I love you too. not my wife. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, Andrew, but in a way differently than I love Jack, my husband. Oh, that's nice. Okay, so ultimately, to wrap things up, I think I would say that this film, you know, again, I I applaud it for its ambition, but in execution, that's the key word. In execution, it leaves more to be desired. You know, maybe every director has, like, their one big misfire maybe next time around he'll come back and be you know great alexander payne again this doesn't mean alexander payne's not a good director no the the worst that this one no no the worst thing on his resume before this was that he he actually uh, he was one of the writers on jurassic park 3 Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Hey, <laughs> hey, he needed a paycheck. Yeah, yeah. That, in that case, I, I, I can understand. I guess that. this is a step up from Jurassic Park. Yeah, <laughs> it's a better. It's a step up from Spinosaurus. All um, right. uh, so, so again, if you are, I guess, if you are a Matt Damon completist or Christoph Waltz or Udo Kier completist, <laughs> which and I know why you're out there. You be? Yeah, I mean. Once you start with my private Idaho, you gotta go on everything the else. The audacity must be. F- <laughs> Did you say audacity? Audacity. High five. That I'm sorry, I can't take the high five. That's from Welcome to the Basement. <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. I'll high five you anyway. All right. Thanks. All right. So again, it, it's it's okay, but it's a missed opportunity. I'll go with that. Yeah. Okay, but uh, squandered potential. Yeah. All right. Well, you won't be. You won't think this is terrible. You know, it'll be worth like uh, worth viewing sooner or later. Yeah. But what Jack says is right. Yeah. At the same time, you know, don't be surprised if in ten years, when Jimmy Kimmel hosts the Oscars, he'll show himself watching Downsizing and make a joke about it. Great. <laughs> so, You'll watch this on TV on a Sunday afternoon when you're dreading the work day and, and trying to you, procrastinate. And then when you're finished, you will write a better script to downsizing, just like we did. Yes. You'll be you'll watch this is the kind of movie to watch when like Corey, when you're grading papers and you're kind of focused on that, but you kind of occasionally turn to the TV and go like, What just happened? Yes. This is good procrastination material when you don't want to grade any more of your students' papers. Exactly. But that's about it. All right. So if you have any thoughts about this, you can send it to wageofcinema at gmail.com. And you can also go to uh, the uh, Facebook page or Twitter page, the Wage of Cinema podcast, and leave us a comment on our posts, which I've, I've seen some people do. And sometimes they're nice and sometimes a little odd. Um, and also some tweets if you'd like to find us at Wages of Cinema. Um, and when we come back, uh, we will have more movie talk for you and uh, also a, a special announcement in this episode, which you'll want to hear or maybe need to hear. So um, stay tuned for all that. And uh, The Wage of Cinema is... Shrink, 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 shrink. His I, I didn't do that right. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's just freaky. Good work. Good work. Stay tuned. world is filled with things to see. 
sometimes you think we're in the normal world. And then something happens. Oh my God. And you realize we're not. <laughs>